You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Noelle Horesky-Schneider. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, September 1st, 2021. We're keeping our staff safe, we're keeping the artists safe, and most of all, we're keeping our community safe. Later in the program, the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater recently announced that it will require vaccination or a negative COVID-19 test ahead of its fall season. WFHB News spoke over the phone with Jonah Chrismore, Executive Director of the Buzzkirk Chumley, about the news policy. That's coming up in today's feature report. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment hosted and produced by Richard Fish. But first, your environmental news brief. From WFHB, this is your environmental news brief for Wednesday, September 1st. I'm Nathaniel Winesapfel. Hurricane Ida, now classified as a tropical storm, recently made landfall in Louisiana as a Category 4 hurricane with winds reaching 150 miles per hour. The U.S. Geological Survey has announced that the forces of the winds and the storm stopped and reversed the flow of the Mississippi River. The river's flow went from 2 feet per second south to half a foot per second north. This is an extremely rare occurrence, as the last time it occurred was during Hurricane Katrina. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and other researchers have found that climate change has increased the amount of natural disasters per year and has also increased the intensity, thus making them more deadly. Residents of Tell City, Indiana, living near a former General Electric factory, have recently filed a lawsuit against General Electric citing the effects of the contaminants that the plant released into the environment on the property values and human health in the area. The contaminant, trichloroethylene, was found on 76 properties. Researchers believe that there is a connection between this contaminant and an increase in Parkinson's disease. General Electric has stated that they are fully committed to working with Tell City to complete an assessment of the damage and fix the situation. A federal judge has recently struck down a Trump-era environmental rule that removed federal protections against the pollution of the nation's waterways. The policy had allowed farmers, real estate developers, and others to discharge pollutants such as fertilizers, pesticides, industrial chemicals, and other harmful substances into streams and wetlands. The Biden administration was firmly against this policy due to the possibility of serious environmental harm that would result from a continuation of the Trump-era policy. Environmental groups celebrated the decision as a victory for clean water and scientific integrity. That's all for your environmental news brief. For WFHB, I'm Nathaniel Weinzapfel. The Bloomington City Council discussed removing parcels from annexation at its August 31st special session. Council members sponsored multiple amendments removing land from annexation ordinances. Council member Matt Flaherty 
addressed public concerns around how the annexation lines are drawn. He said the lines can look arbitrary because, in a way, they are. I, I do bristle a little bit at the notion that um, the property owners immediately adjacent to the West will will may um, become part of the city and these ones won't. It, you know, it's a bit of an arbitrary line, but of course, that's what this entire exercise is, is something not arbitrary, but some level of um, line drawing inevitably. And, and, you know, the commenters rightly pointed out that uh, the same as that's true to the West, true to immediately to the Northeast is the fact that those, those parcels have not been considered in this annexation. Council member Steve Volan proposed an amendment that would remove a parcel around Lori Lane. He clarified he did not support many arguments against annexation, but that the narrow entrance to Lori Lane would not support added city traffic. And so again, that's why I thought that the entrance to Lori Lane really made the difference here, that this neighborhood is, uh, despite appearances, uh, uh, outside the city in more ways than one. Um, and uh, you know, again, it's a close call for me, but that's why I was supportive of this amendment. Um, I'm not sure that I'd be supportive of other amendments uh, because there's so many factors going on here that make a difference. The final one being Lori Lane in 46. Councilmember Sue Scambarelli shared her criteria on what should be exempt from annexation. She said the annexation process was thorough and surgical and that removing areas from annexation should be equally surgical. Another argument, most of us have heard it one, in one setting or another, annexation, really, it's just a money grab. It's just arbitrary. Um, from what I've seen, and I have had countless conversations with planning and with residents in many neighborhoods, this has been a very deliberate, thoughtful process. Um, there is no just random grabbing of different kinds of, of parcels. And similarly, I think we need to be just as deliberate and just as surgical when we vote to include or exclude a property. Um, that was the rationale for excluding Edgewood Hills. It was a very surgical amendment or those five parcels. So that's how I tried to think about it. Council members voted for two of the three proposed amendments, removing a total of six parcels from the current annexation ordinances. The council will consider more amendments in the future leading up to the September 15th final vote. Amidst all of the hubbub within the city's budget meetings last week, one interesting thing to watch is the funding and follow-through of the proposed bicentennial bond projects. The $10 million bond the Common Council approved in 2018 to improve quality of life in Bloomington is now under some fire for how the projects are being implemented. Councilmember Matt Flaherty asked about the improvements proposed for the Cascades Road. Initially, funding was approved for the road to be closed to automobiles and to encourage biking. The, the city's transportation plan calls for a multi-use path from College Avenue up to Clubhouse Drive and, and actually all the way to Bloomington High School North. Um, I think of that as a pretty important piece of the um, commuting puzzle for students, which is something that the council committed to in Resolution 1911 uh, from the YES Society, Youth for Environmental Sustainability Society. They asked for safe um, separated, well, safe biking facilities to, to schools. And that's the most obvious route to Bloomington High School North. Um, so when that bond was authorized in 2018, uh, it was for a trail to continue the trails that already exist. And my understanding of the current decision is that um, we're looking at maybe traffic calming on the road, um, which just isn't the same thing. McDevitt responded, saying the changes have been made in response to the public's reaction to the road being closed off. The public input shared that the road being closed off made the park less accessible. 
McDevitt says the traffic calming project will have the desired effect. Because of that, that pilot and the feedback that we received, we opted to reopen the road with these enhancements. Um, it is not a million dollar project. It, um, right now we have a paving contract for 160,000 um, that includes the uh, speed cushions in that. We'll be doing some signage down there, making a safe crosswalk, adding some guardrails and some lighting down there. Official decisions won't be finalized until October. We understand following the local news cycle can be difficult especially with the hustle and bustle of our daily lives. So, in order to make it easier on you, we provided a rundown of yesterday's news. Indiana recorded the highest number of COVID-19 cases in schools than at any other time throughout the pandemic. Students made up over 5,500 new positive cases, while teachers and staff totaled to over 600 new positive cases according to the Indiana State Department of Health's COVID-19 data report. While almost 1,000 of the new positive cases date back to several weeks prior, State Health Commissioner Dr. Christina Box warns that the dashboard doesn't fully demonstrate the gravity of the latest surge in schools caused by the Delta variant. Next week, we'll be able to add a toggle feature to the school dashboard that will differentiate between the school years, including showing which schools have reported, as required, yet this school year. This will show that more than 1,200 schools have not reported this school year as required. I want to stress that these cases must be reported to the state. Unfortunately, we have many more weeks of this high level of activity before we can expect this Delta surge to start declining. And that's why it's imperative that every Hoosier do what's needed to prevent additional cases. Dr. Box said that new infections and hospitalizations are on the rise, similar to the surge experienced last winter. Our positivity rate has risen to 10.8%, fueled by a significant increase in new cases. As a reminder, our positivity rate was just over 2% at the end of June. Since Monday, we have seen more than 20,000 new cases with increases across all of our age groups. Pediatric cases have risen steeply with the most significant increase in our 10 to 14-year-old age group, as you can see on the slide. We also have seen sharp increases in the 5 to 9-year-old age group and among our older teenagers. Many of our hospitals are once again struggling with staffing and capacity issues. Nearly 2,200 Hoosiers are currently hospitalized with COVID. Keep in mind that our peak was just under 3,400 patients. Box also said during last week's COVID-19 update that the state saw a shortage of ventilators and ICU beds. She tried to dispel the myth that children are not affected by the COVID-19 pandemic citing a recent increase in hospitalizations among young children. And we've seen the percentage of available ICU beds fall again, which impacts every Hoosier in need of critical medical care. Yesterday, we received updated reports on available ICU beds in hospitals across all 10 emergency preparedness districts in our state. Four of those districts reported utilizing more than 100% of their ICU beds. Those districts were two, three, five, and 10, representing the northern, northeastern, central, and southeastern portions of our state. The majority of the hospitalizations continue to occur among our older Hoosiers. This is the age group in which we have seen the biggest increase. 
but we've also seen an increase in children being hospitalized. Many of these children are not yet eligible to be vaccinated. To anyone who argues that COVID-19 does not impact children, I can assure you that every parent with a hospitalized child would disagree. The Delta variant remains at the core of the latest surge. A clear majority of samples taken by the state health department shows that the Delta variant accounts for much of the recent uptick. This surge continues to be fueled by the extremely infectious Delta variant. Nearly 98% of the new cases we are sequencing continue to be this variant. We only send a portion of tests for sequencing to determine if a variant is present, but this sampling provides an accurate representation of the level of the variant in our state. None of this is good news for Hoosiers. I've heard other medical professionals around the country state that this is the darkest time in the pandemic. Box says the start of the school year drives many of the new cases reported in schools. She said this furthers the need for students, teachers, and staff to wear masks and get vaccinated. Those ages 12 and older are eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine. To find a vaccine clinic near you, visit ourshot.in.gov. The Buskirk Chumley Theater recently announced that it will require vaccination or a negative COVID-19 test ahead of its fall season. WFHB News Director Kate Young spoke over the phone with Jonah Crismore, Executive Director of the Buskirk Chumley, about the new policy. The Buskirk is the first large venue in Bloomington to enact this policy. Crismore says he believes this will soon become the industry standard. We turn to Kate Young for more. Jonah Crismore, Executive Director of the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater. Thank you for coming on to the WFHB Local News. Oh, thank you very much for having me. So, Jonah, the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater is now requiring vaccination or a negative COVID-19 test for the fall season. So what led you to make that call ahead of the fall theater season? For us specifically, it came from a few different, you know, angles that we were working. Um, we recently um, surveyed our audiences, our patrons, and it overwhelmingly showed support for a vaccine requirement or negative COVID test. You know, our respondents that came to about over 80% were in favor of that from our patrons. Those are our regular ticket buyers. Also, artists who are on tour right now, you know, it kind of started in as this gentle kind of trickle of, you know, a request here and there if we could do it. And then before you know it, every artist was requiring it. So it just became a matter of practicality as well that all the artists are requiring it. So, it, you know, to to create some semblance of, of just trying to keep this, some stability 
we decided that the whole season should have COVID vaccine or negative COVID test along with with your ticket purchase when you come in to see an event here at the BCT. So, and, you know, of course, all in all, it's also, you know, what we feel is like the best way to ensure that we can keep our community as safe as we possibly can while still being able to do what we do, which is have you know, gatherings of, of, of concert goers and music fans. That's a perfect segue into my next question. So early on in the pandemic, many of your shows were canceled due to COVID-19. So this affected touring artists, the venue, the livelihood of, of theater staff. So would you touch on the push and pull of wanting to remain open while trying to protect theater goers from the virus? Yeah, I mean, that's safety is our first priority always. You know, we want to make sure that that when we have events here, that people remain safe and they remain healthy. You know, one strategy that has been a great asset is the vaccine masking, which our in Monroe County um, requires is another great thing. So when we marry those two things together, along with social distancing when possible with um, enhanced cleaning. We're doing everything we can to create an experience where the concert can still happen. We're keeping our staff safe. We're keeping the artists safe. And most of all, we're keeping our community safe while we're still able to fulfill the mission of our organization, which is to fill the, you know, the historic Buskirk Chumley stage with programming throughout the year and also help, you know, we're talking about, you mentioned the livelihood of our theater staff, which is very, very important, but, you know, the livelihood of our artists is very, very important. And many of our artists, this is how they make their living. And, you know, it's just, just is a financial certainty that many of them would not be able to continue on with their careers as being an artist if they did not go on tour this season. So you're the first large venue to come right out and say, we're requiring vaccines or a negative COVID test. Now, I've seen other local places do this, the Orbit Room and the Atlas, for example. But do you think this idea will catch on at other local organizations? I believe it's the only way forward, at least for the foreseeable future, you know, to do this in a safe, responsible manner. And you're seeing it, you know, the coasts, both east and west coast, had already started to require it. While Palooza and Chicago started to require it, and shortly after that, several other venues in Chicago started to require it. Um, now venues in Indianapolis are requiring it. I feel like it's just a matter of time before this is just what the industry standard is, and it's 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 going to be much stranger to go to a place that they don't require it than they, than they do. So I know we've already touched on this, but I really want to to drive the message home. So overall, this move is clearly to incentivize people to get the vaccine and to limit transmission of the virus. All in all, why is this important to you folks at the Buskirk? Well, you know, we don't want another shutdown to happen. You know, we're very happy and very lucky that we're in Monroe County where people are taking the, you know, are taking the pandemic seriously and they are doing everything they can to keep themselves and those around them safe. But we just don't know what the future would hold for for the performing arts in not just Bloomington and Indiana, but, you know, the whole region. And, you know, like I say, even on a national scale, if, you know, if shutdowns started to occur again. So we feel that, you know, 
getting vaccinated is one of the, you know, one of the fast tracks to being able to have live concerts in a safe and responsible manner again. Adhering to the masking mandates is another thing you can do to keep everybody safe. And ultimately, you know, we want to keep this communal experience alive. And the only way we can do that is where we're looking out for each other and the members of that community and um, making sure that we're doing everything we can to not spread this very, very infectious disease. Well, I appreciate you touching on the new policies ahead of the fall season. Thank you for that. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit here. Would you touch on what you have planned in terms of fall programming? You know, would you just go over some of the highlights the buzz Kirk Chumley has in store? Sure. Well, we're very excited that September 30th, we're going to be having Kenny Wayne Shepherd. He's some, you know, another artist who has been affected by the pandemic in that we originally had him scheduled for August 30th, but a member of his crew had COVID-like symptoms. So, you know, they had to take a break from the, from the tour, but we were able to get them rescheduled later on. So we're still excited to have that show happen. Stephen Page from the Bare Naked Ladies, he's having, you know, going to be playing some of his hits as well as some of his solo work. And we're excited about having him, which is, um, that's on September 22nd, I believe. And then, you know, we have a whole, you know, a whole list of great stuff coming down the pipe. You know, we have Iron and Wine, you know, a very, you know, venerable um, indie singer songwriter on November 19th. Yeah, September 15th, um, we have Kathleen Edwards, another amazing senior songwriter. So we're real doing everything we can to make sure that the musical arts continue on. Another act that we're very excited about is Kevin James Thornton. He's a actor and comedian, and October 1st, we're going to have him on our stage. He's somebody who's kind of done a one-man show, done several other things, but he kind of got another, his career got a whole new wind when he started going on TikTok and, you know, having these, telling these kind of confessional stories about growing up in Evansville, Indiana in the 90s as a as a gay man in a very conservative evangelical environment and he's just great i'm very excited to see what kind of stories he tells and how he tells it and you know he's somebody who can make you laugh and cry in, a, in just a 30 second span and it's he's just an amazing storyteller if folks want to find out more information on the upcoming fall schedule where should they go well is our website it's the best way to find out about it. If there's any changes to our schedule and everything, following us on social media is a great way just to kind of stay informed if anything pops up. Or if there's any changes to policy, such as, you know, the our new ma- uh, um, the mask mandate when that was enacted or, you know, our new vaccine verification and COVID-19 testing policies, you know, social media is the best way to kind of keep up with those things. So we have, you know, multiple different levels. And of course, on, a, on our website, you can sign up for an email list and that will give you, you know, if we have new show announcements and things like that, kind of give you a first, uh, you'll be the first to know about things. Well, Jonah Crismore, Executive Director of the Buzzkirk Chumley Theater, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Up next, we have Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB Community Radio. Today's episode is titled Latest and Not So Greatest, and it covers the current stats on fraud this year and some of the most popular types of con games at the moment. Richard Fish has more. (laughs) 
Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. Well, it's a long, long way from May to December, and the scams can change when you reach September. Aren't you glad I didn't sing that? But here's a look at the current trends among the con artists, and we'll start with a few statistics for the first eight months of this year. The telephone remains by far the most common way for fraudsters to target their victims, and so far in 2021, Americans have reported losing more than $30 billion to phone scammers. The second and third most common avenues for con jobs are text messages and emails. The two age groups that got suckered worst are the 34 to 45 age group and people from 18 to 34. Across all age groups, men are more likely to actually lose money than women are. Sorry, guys, let's get our act together. And it is now estimated that the scam industry is taking in more money worldwide every year it's over $600 billion now, than the illegal drug trade, which only takes in a paltry $400 billion. The most common scams last month were vehicle warranty scams, which start by telling you the warranty on your car or truck is about to expire or be canceled, and you can keep it going just by sending money. Natural disaster scams are peaking, what with hurricanes hitting and wildfires raging out of control. Never give money to any charity without checking it out first, and always use a credit card, not a debit card. All summer long, home improvement scammers have been hard at work, running around the country often in vehicles with out-of-state license plates and ringing doorbells. Some of them do shoddy work, and some do no work at all, but these crooks always want a big chunk of money up front. Beware of any way-too-handy-handy man who finds you. If you need work done, you find the workers yourself and hire locally. COVID-19 scams are rising and falling with the pandemic numbers, and they include con games that say you have to pay money for a vaccine, vaccines are always free, promise you COVID relief money from the government, if you pay them first, of course, and offers to pay the funeral expenses for COVID-19 victims. Anyone who swindles people who are mourning the death of a loved one is so low they could put on a tall silk hat and walk under a duck. As always, the biggest red flag that tells you you're dealing with a crook is when they want you to pay them money in cash, or by wire transfer, or by purchasing a gift card and giving them the code number, or in Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies. No government agency ever does that. Remember, never pay money to get money, and if it seems too good to be true, it probably is. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at wfhb.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at wfhb.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break.
You've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Noel Herhusky Schneider, Cade Young, and Jake Jacobson in partnership with CATS, Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Cade Young. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. For WFHB, I'm Noel Hresky Schneider. And I'm Benedict Jones. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you find your podcast. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature, coming up next on WFHB. Listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 